the AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 17, Accelerating Growth Through Global Expansion with Michael Brown of Avic Networks and Rob Woolley of Benevity. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. This week, we're sharing a panel discussion featuring Michael Brown, Vice President of Technology at Ovic Networks, Rob Woolley, Vice President of Technology Operations at Benevity, and moderated by Jeff Klaus of AWS, sharing best practices on global expansion. So we're talking about uh, global expansion, geographical expansion. At AWS, this is important. Our most successful customers are on multiple continents. Uh, they have aspirations and they uh, sometimes are at the beginning of their journey. They are global immediately. You probably hear uh, a lot about how the Israeli market in particular, when they're incepting or getting started with a company, they are immediately born in the cloud and they're global. That market is not a large market to grow in. So they kind of consider themselves a global citizen immediately. And others obviously have a much different journey and we'll talk about what's necessary in that journey. And I guess the most important thing from our from AWS perspective is how can we build more programs in order to help accelerate and foster this type of growth. That is the opportunity we have to make our customers more successful. So to get started, let's talk about how you determine that this is a journey you want to take. Is there a financial model that you might want to uh, consider? You know, what is the genesis of saying, okay, we've grown in our domestic market. At what point do you consider building a proposal or a path? And what do you look at in order to propose that path to management and get that ball rolling? It's a, it's a good question. I want everyone to picture like the widest bookshelf you've ever seen, not one of those IKEA Billy bookshelves, but way wider. So I've got experience on both both sides of it. So as far as I'm concerned, as long as you land somewhere on that shelf, you're doing great. Uh, so the first one that was more intentional, uh, I was at an equity management company that had a SaaS platform for helping uh, companies organize and manage stock option programs, long-term incentives, very dry stuff. But we had saturated the, the North American market, and we were headquartered in Calgary, Alberta, which if any of you have tried to do global money movement, Calgary is not the place to do that. Um, most banks have never heard of Calgary, and when you're trying to get funds into China or Germany, it's just a nightmare. So we had market saturation, and the financial hub of the world is in London. So. We were dipping our toes into the European market and we had our first white label coming online and it just seemed like a really good time to shift our money movement operation into London. So it was a quick spreadsheet saying it's, it's time to go. And, and that one felt really, um, really intentional. Now, my second experience uh, was with Benevity and in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> we're, we're losing all of these deals in Europe and we're losing a win-loss analysis revealed. We're losing them all to the same company. So we're like, hey, why don't we just buy that company? And so we did. And uh, that's great. We, we signed some paper and we're, we're global. 
and that was very unintentional. Uh, you know, whereas we were like, we're going to move an operation over there, we're going to establish a beachhead and a particular style of office, and, and instead we inherited our, our global presence, so to speak. And uh, I would always recommend be a touch more intentional than that. It's uh, you end up doing your integration as an afterthought rather than uh, with a little bit of upfront front loading. And it's been interesting. What I would say is if we maybe had just sat down and, and looked at a bit of a model, I think with um, Benevity's journey, we might have approached it differently, whereas my, my previous experience was very intentional and much smoother as a result. But it really is a blend. Do you have the right market and do you have the right fit? And it's a plus one if part of your operation starts making sense to also move global. Those are the two things I look for. So our journey, I think, was maybe somewhere in between those two. Uh, you know, our... Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, markets. Our our company's based in Canada. There's uh, you know a fairly small market there. So immediately we were going after North America, uh, and we had one uh, one physical cluster in uh, well uh, in an AWS region in in the states, and we started getting almost like accidental uh, inquiries about the product from other regions, and and we saw a few coming in from Europe, a few coming in from Australia and other places, and it wasn't like we were going after those deals with a lot of intention. It's just someone heard about our product online and contacted our sales team because anyone in the world can do that and said, hey, we want to buy the product. Oh, wait, you don't have a data center in Europe? Well, we're not going to buy it then. And so we kind of built up this anecdotal view that in order to sell into Europe, we were going to need to have a European data center there as well. And so it turned into a bit of a technical challenge then to say, well, how do we even do that? We wrapped it up with a bunch of other technical things we wanted to solve at the same time, and, and we came up with a way to easily deploy, essentially, copies of our full service to different regions within AWS, then synchronize a, a small amount of metadata between them. And so with that sort of technological advancement, we stood up clusters in Europe and Australia, and now we've got you know nine regions uh, globally where we have uh, these, these data centers thanks to AWS's um, you know, global capabilities. That was the beginning of that global journey, because now we had these data centers, but there's still a big question about, well, you know, this was kind of accidental business, and we, it's not free to, to set up a new cluster for us, but it's not that expensive. And so once we kind of had enough revenue coming in, we were, we're still making money from the customers that we had, but um, we didn't really have an intentional way of going after new business in those, in those regions. And, and so that... Uh, Led to some some additional cha uh, challenges on on other teams outside of uh, outside of uh, technology and engineering as well. Yeah, I think those are great examples, and I, I I think the more difficult path for a company is to say, hey, we don't have customers in this market. We're not going to go. We don't have the money to go buy a company in that in that new market. We need to grow. How do we make a decision on where? What strategically makes sense for us? And then there's a whole host of other complex questions that come after that. Do you bring your own people there? Do you hire in that local market? Is there a regulatory restriction there that you have to navigate that's different? So those examples are, are, are more challenging for customers. And that's, I think, the broader set of customers that we deal with are in that set of decision-making that they have to make. How do we do this? How do we continue to grow without a customer beachhead or a, another path um, to entering that market, and that's where we need to be more specific about how we can how we can help uh, customers in that journey. Marketplace and co-sell for software companies is critical, right? That is, I think, 
one of the key decision-making factors beyond the infrastructure that, that you make as companies. How can AWS help you beyond the infrastructure? And that's part of my remit, part of my role, is to ensure that we are able to help you establish that beachhead in a new market, that we're able to uh, align you with the co-sell programs that can raise your top line and help your, your growth. And I think that's a big part of this geographical expansion and why we look to um, accelerate those types of journeys. And Michael, you touched on the technical uh, questions or uh, issues that you might have to deal with. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because Europe is a different beast when it comes to GDPR and privacy and like data residency. Right. So I think that it can't be overlooked when you have that exploration. So what would you kind of advise or what was your experience there? Yeah, our, our experience and, and the decision we made at the time, and I still think it's a good one for lots of reasons, is that we would essentially stand up a, a, a new standalone copy of all of our services in a separate AWS region. And so you could think of that as essentially a complete stamp of our product over there running independently from our North American one, with apart from a little bit of synchronization of metadata that has to happen. The big advantage of that for us is that it meant uh, the services within the cluster themselves didn't have to be aware of, of the geographic data residency issues and things. We didn't need to have code in every service that says, oh, where's this customer data supposed to go? What is it? I guess I should put it in that database instead of that one. There's just one database in every region, and that's the database that, uh, that we communicate with. Um, and so we were able, through that kind of technical decision, to avoid some, I'll call it like accidental problems with data residency where data ends up in the wrong place because of a bug in the code uh, somewhere. So th that was very valuable for us. Um, it relied on a few important, I guess, architectural ideas, right? It had to be easy for us to stand up one of these new clusters and achieve some uh, you know, assurance that it would be working properly in, in the new region. Uh, and it couldn't be too expensive uh, to, to operate either. And so. Uh, we, we went through a lot of you know, cycles of, of optimizing the cost of these clusters and treating everything infrastructure as code so that we could easily uh, spin up uh, new regions um, on demand. But that idea of how do we, it was sort of a, a problem that kept me up at night for a while, how do we make sure that someone doesn't write a bug in the code that's suddenly putting customer data that has to stay in Europe into some North American database? And our solution to that is don't even give them the path to do that. Interesting, mm. okay. So now I'm going to shift a little bit into when you go to market, you've set up the service, you've either bought a company, you've grown organically, or you've had customers say, we want you here. Now, how do you staff it? How do you determine if you're going to use a reseller locally? Are you going to bring people over from Canada to that new market? Are you going to hire locally? Let's talk a little bit about that and the trade-offs, kind of what your experiences have been. Yeah, it's, yeah, this one, um, I apologize. I feel like I might miss the mark on my answer here, but um, I'm always a fan of when you go into a region, you need to bring on local talent. And equally, I'm a big fan of uh, your main campus needs to send folks over to, to help with the, you know, bringing your culture on. And also, if you're really wise, you're going to send people over that have an open mind. There's a huge North American bias that you need to try to leapfrog when you go into a market that's not part of North America, and the best folks to do that uh, to help you with that are the, the local talent that you bring on board. So when I think about how we handled the European expansion at my previous company, um, 
Barcelona is probably my favorite example. We went into there, uh, we picked up a fair bit of local talent immediately, focusing in on sales and marketing. Uh, as we learned somewhat painfully, the North American marketing styles just didn't really fly. Uh, we'd also chosen Barcelona to be an operational hub, so we set up a contact center. We had engineering teams and site reliability in there as well. And um, those types of roles are a little trickier. Um, you definitely need to bring folks over to help get that type of a group up to speed. But I have yet to have an experience where I can actually take advantage of resellers. Uh, the brand recognition just generally isn't there. Going, going after those sales and marketing folks first, I feel is, is critical so that you can leapfrog over the bias. And then if you're bringing on operational roles, you know, the main campus sending folks over to help bootstrap that really, really helps get things off the ground. And again, the most important thing, an open mind. Um, I had a, a horrible experience in Japan. We were, I was doing a product walkthrough and it was going terribly. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And they, they took me aside and they said, your main color scheme represents shame and self-harm. And I was like, well, this meeting's over. So, um, and you know, it was a, a very humbling lesson, but really, really important. Like, we picked those colors because, uh, well, to be frank, I'm colorblind. And I'm like, hey, I can see this if it's high contrast. And they're like, yeah, well, it's really offensive. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things where, again, local talent can really, really help. But I'm biased because I haven't had a reseller opportunity that has actually worked. Yeah, Good. we have had some some success with resellers, uh, but like you say, it's not. It's not free. You don't just contact a reseller and say, hey, do you want to sell my product? And they say, sure. And then they sell millions of dollars worth of it, right? It's uh, the relationships in our experience have been slow to get off the ground. You've got to find the right reseller. You've got to essentially train them on the value of your product so that they will be incented to sell it for you. Um, the you know, they, there's a that aspect of, of relationships is really important with the resellers, making sure that they feel as though they're part of of your business as well. Um, some challenges, I think, too. A lot of resellers will ask for exclusivity and so on when you go in, and it's something you, you know you have to make a, a tough business decision. There is this reseller worth it, and even if we think it is worth it, how are we going to enforce that? Like, what if a deal comes in? direct in a region where we're supposed to be exclusive with a reseller? How do we make sure the sales team does the right thing in those circumstances? So there's some real challenges there. Um, we, on our, on our inside sales team, our, our direct sales team, we, we have a lot of control over that process, right? We record all of the sales calls. The sales leaders listen to them all the time. There's even automated systems, I think, that analyze a few aspects of them and things and, and give us a lot of feedback. We can really fine-tune the process, the sales process, and, and train our sales team uh, to, to sell the product in what we feel is the most effective way and, and continually refine that hypothesis. That's a lot harder with a reseller. You don't, it's it's kind of like a black box, really. They tell you, here's how many units we shipped, and, and we don't know why that's succeeding or not succeeding unless you can have those really in-depth conversations with the resellers. So um, there's pros and cons, I think, to that. Um, on the other hand, setting up a dedicated sales force in a new region is a huge investment. So, you know, like, like, uh, like you're saying, we, we get in there and, and have to learn everything ourselves about how sales works in that region and establish these customer connections and figure out what kind of marketing and, and uh, you know, lead generation tools work there. And a lot of the times the resellers will have a lot of that knowledge already. So it's a, it's a real trade-off. You, you sort of give up control, you gain 
some experience and some specific experience in the region and that kind of, you know, boots on the ground relationships with, with potential customers. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure there's a one size fits all answer. It, it's got to depend a lot probably on the product and, and even specifically on the geography and how, how much you really want to invest in doing that yourself. Yeah, I think I think the the other piece you just touched on is about just pricing the product appropriately for those resellers because they they want to make a margin, but you don't want to create an arbitrage situation where they're reselling to other markets that you were direct in. So there's there's a a lot that needs to be analyzed, and you need to just stay on top of uh, the channel, so to speak. And with that, we're gonna wrap. Thank you very much for the the panel. Appreciate your um, insight, time and uh, being very open and honest, uh, high trust environment. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.